0: Today we welcome back to Song of the Soul, one of my very favorite singer-songwriters of all time, Carrie Newcomer. There are so many very talented musicians to choose from that it's not at all obvious to pick out just a couple from the rich pickings. But Carrie stands out, not only for her beautiful expressive voice and superb instrumentals, but for the depth and sensitivity of her lyrics. She shines a light on the light shining all over the place and in everyone, without at all compromising the stunning music that accompanies her lyrics. Carrie is back with us on Song of the Soul, sharing especially from her latest CD, Everything is Everywhere. Fruit from her sojourn in India a couple years ago, Carrie Newcomer joins us by phone today from her home in Indiana. Kerry, welcome back to Song of the Soul.
2: Hi, great to be with you.
0: We were just chatting. You were over on the West Coast, uh, I think, this past weekend. You're just back in. What were you doing over there?
2: I was in Corvallis, Oregon, and doing a performance and workshop based on sustainability and the arts and social change. And then I was in Seattle at a wonderful series that is working to become a more progressive voice for spirituality in the Seattle area. So it's a concert, and a workshop there as well. So yes, I had a wonderful weekend, and, but it's nice to be home. It's beautiful in Indiana right now, and it's great to talk to you this morning.
0: I noticed those workshops that you were doing and the concerts you were doing are on the edge of activism. How does your performing life divvy up in terms of activism, spirituality, teaching, fun, recreation? I don't know. How does that divide <laughs> up for you?
2: In terms of my work, it really does overlap anymore, which is a wonderful thing. It feels very integrated and in that the different things that I'm interested in and involved with and passionate about that they do so often overlap. I do teach quite a bit in terms of songwriting and creative writing and some on vocation, but often this is with an attention to the spiritual current in our lives you know, and the spiritual current in our work. Also, you know, there is the aspect of of social change and of a writer who I wouldn't call a kind of a purist in terms of political writing. I think that's a very specialized talent. But I do write about the human condition and I do write about the natural world. And because of that, it tells a story that touches on those big topics. You know, I, I often tell songwriters when I'm working in, and actually creative writers that it's really hard to write about world peace, you know, world peace. You can't get your arms around those big concepts, the concepts that we're really passionate about, but they're big and sometimes can get kind of fluffy in terms of our writing. But we can tell a small story. We can tell a human story. We can tell it with as much honesty and integrity and clarity as we know how. And in those small stories, it opens out into larger ideas that we're so concerned in.
0: Well, when I talked to you two years ago, you had just done a trip to India in that previous, you know, six months or so, and so I, this music that you shared on your latest CD, Everything Is Everywhere, hadn't, I think, been finalized yet. I think you were still working things out with the Khan family, probably about all the instrumentation you put together there. That trip to India, though, you did tell me you went as kind of a representative of the U.S. Do you want to say more about that trip and how it led to this CD?
2: Yes. You know, I've I've done two tours in India now. The first one was in the fall of 2009, and I was invited to be an artist-in-residence at the American Embassy School in New Delhi. And so I worked with students for a week on creating works of art on the topics of peace and justice, which was just a wonderful experience. And then the rest of the month, I traveled all over India with its called the American Center, the cultural outreach part of the American Embassy in India. And they they tried to bring in music that is kind of quintessentially American. And not to sing for American audiences or expats, but to really sing for Indian audiences. And because I've done so much work with community service, to work with community service projects in the afternoon and teach some workshops as well. So it was just an amazing experience, and yeah, I mean, when they called me, uh, I'm a Quaker folk singer, like "We Are the World." Let's all hold hands, and and (laughs) and this is, you know, this is State Department. So I had to ask them. Now, have you gone to my website? You're not looking for Carrie Underwood, are you? (laughs) (laughs) And they laughed and said, and they said something really lovely. They said, you know what we're looking for is music that builds bridges. We had plenty enough walls. I thought that was a very hopeful thing to hear, and it it really made my heart very happy to hear, we're looking for music that builds bridges. And so that was the idea and what was it about. And I went about all over India, and I, I had this great opportunity to sing for Indian audiences and find that India is deep and rich and it's old. It's an old culture. We're, we're relatively pretty new here. I was fascinated and delighted and bewildered by all the ways we're different. Thank goodness we are not all the same. But at the same time, I was so powerfully struck by the thread that pulls between us, the things that we recognize everywhere. You know, if you sing a song about family or love or grief or struggle, you know, if you write about these sorts of things, they're immediately recognizable everywhere you go. So, that was really powerful. Then during that tour, uh, I was given the opportunity to meet musicians from different genres in the Indian community and artists who were doing kind of fusion, a contemporary crossover, Western, Eastern, with traditional musicians who were working in more indigenous forms, like the Baul. And then I met Amjad Ali Khan and his two sons, Ayan and Aman. Who are classical trained and and masters of the Indian classical sarod? Uh, I spent the afternoon in their home and in their studio, and we played music for each other, and there was a spark that happened. That kind of he would sing a song, and and I would be a bit in tears, even though I didn't understand the words, and I would sing a song, and there would be this silent affirmation of yes, you know we're we were using incredibly different forms. Indian classical and Western singer-songwriter form is very different, but there was something about the spirit of what was being written that was connecting and powerful. And so I went home and we started talking about a collaboration, emailing about it. And and, you know, Amjad is just beloved. He's kind of like the Yo-Yo Ma of India. And he's done a lot of collaborations, but never with a vocalist before. So the fact that he was interested in this collaboration was just so exciting and wonderful. So I wrote a collection of songs, sent demos over the Internet for them to hear, and they were really enjoying the songs and the lyrics and you know, explaining what the lyrics were about and and how they were connecting to our conversations about music and the spirit. They traveled to the United States in the summer of 2010, and we went into the studio, and something, something magical happened. It was just this great experience. In the fall of 2011, I returned to India for a month, and we released the album there in India on an Indian label. And then here in the United States, it was released as a benefit project for the Interfaith Hunger Initiative and the profits of this album. I'll go there to this wonderful interface organization bringing people from different spiritual traditions together to work on the issues of poverty and hunger.
0: Well, that sounds like the perfect intro to get us up to some of that music that you've actually put out on Everything is Everywhere. Which of the tracks would you care to start with?
2: Let's start with Breathe. It's, it's the opening track on the album. The lyrics are based upon Mary Oliver poem and a Zen story and then some reference to India. So we were doing a, a bit of a collage of ideas, and I really loved what happened between the road and the guitars and the voices on this particular song, uh, also with the wonderful accompanying musicians on uh, piano and, and percussion. So let's start there. It's the opening track, and it would be nice way to open up. Yeah.
0: is everywhere. It's called Breathe In, Breathe Out. And it's by Carrie Newcomer here with us today for Song of the Soul. She's sharing some of the fruits of her visit to India. And actually, I guess there were two visits, the original one, which was the inspiration behind the CD eventually, and the second time to actually release it. Does that mean that you basically came up with the ideas for the songs and then created them? And then the Khan family added the Indian instrumentation to them when you got together in the studio.
2: No, it wasn't quite like that. It was more I wrote a collection of songs that fit and went along with the kinds of ideas musically and the kinds of ideas spiritually and the conversation of you know why would we do this collaboration and what would the collaboration be about? Amjad is Muslim, and his wife is Hindu, which is a big deal in India. And I'm coming from a Quaker background. This idea of interfaith dialogue and working toward a more peaceful world is very important to the Khan family. And so that really was part of our conversation. And also just the idea that I can't write Indian classical music. I'm not an Indian classical musician, and I wouldn't even attempt to do that. I would be writing in Western form.
0: There's at least three different things I want to ask you about that. When you introed the song, Breathe In, Breathe Out, you mentioned it was from Mary Oliver poem, and also that there's, I think, a Zen story that's in there. What's the Zen story? I I didn't pick that out. I guess I must be a little bit inadequately educated.
2: Oh, there's a Zen story. The line of the song is, I held anger like a coal burning hot, but not let go. With a thought I could throw it at someone. Such a hard lesson to learn. My own hand was what got burned. you got to breathe it in and breathe it out and let it go.
0: You also mentioned that Amjad is Muslim, his wife's Hindu. You know, in some ways I think of the Quaker way, you know, starting in the 1600s, as being kind of a bridge between East and West. So it was interesting that you got selected to be this ambassador of sorts to India, creating that bridge. How did you relate spiritually to what you experienced in India?
2: You know, it was really, again, a beautiful experience. And I remember doing an interview with someone in um, Calcutta when I was there. They asked me what I write about. And I said, well, you know, I write a lot about finding something sacred in an ordinary day. That our lives are filled with daily moments of the sacred. And in the West, we have to think about that. And his immediate response was no. <laughs> I was like no, you're just kidding me. And I said like, no. You know, we we kind of have to think about this idea. We're busy, and we we separate the sacred and the ordinary. In Quakerism, there isn't that same line. I think that that line is permeable or doesn't exist, and so. In that way, I felt very comfortable with this idea of the sacred and the ordinary always being entwined. At the same time, there are so many different religions mm. represented in India, uh, Hinduism being the largest group, but you know there's representatives of so many different traditions, you know, Sufis and Muslims and Sikhs and Jains and Buddhists, and it's really quite a, amazing that way. I think sometimes when we talk about interfaith dialogue, there's a tendency to want to wash out everything, to make everything kind of more general and politically correct, that we, we won't get too specific about anything because that would somehow not be about you know, making us all one, you know about unity. And I have to say, I've really come to believe that we probably won't find true unity in those lofty ideas of idea and making everything more generic and washed out. I think where our greatest hope of unity can happen or might happen is if we dig deeper into our individual traditions, whatever tradition that we are either born into or we resonate with, to take that tradition to its deepest form, to find the true groundwater of that tradition, and there there we start drinking from the same source. You know, we start talking about love, talking about compassion. We start talking about the sacred in the ordinary. When we get to the deepest groundwater of all of our traditions, there we find one another. So that was something I think uh, in terms of going to India and encountering these many traditions, many rich and old traditions that I was really struck by. that, That the deeper you go, the more possible it might be to find unity, to find the love at the very center of it all. There
1: were lentils, rice and hot spice tea The sun set out on the Arabian Sea With women swayed in yellows, blues and greens The finest thing I've ever seen Rhythm to the raids they come and go I heard Bollywood and villain on the radio The driver is quoting Sufi poetry His ribbons tied around the tree Cause everything is everywhere Cause everything is everywhere
3: (laughs) On
1: Saturdays in Indiana There's a farmer's market in our town There's always music, kids, and corn and beans The finest thing I've ever seen When I was troubled, a good friend stopped by She brought soup and then she said a wife Love is love, it's here and also there Everything is everywhere Everything is everywhere Cause everything on the train everything
0: Everything is everywhere. That's title track from Carrie Newcomers Newest C D, which she created and performed with Amjad Aman and Ayan Ali Khan, a family that she met while traveling over in India. Beautiful song, Carrie, very beautiful. I did want to check, did you really hear on the radio over there both Bollywood and Dylan and what Dylan song was it?
2: <laughs> I did. I was in a taxi. I was in Mumbai. I kept a little notebook and so much this, you know, for a, a Westerner the first time in a country like India, there was so much kind of coming at me from all angles. So I was taking notes. And much of everything is everywhere is taken directly from my notebook. And I was in this taxi. The radio was on and it was Bollywood song. And right afterward, it, it was Dylan's Maggie's farm, you know. <laughs> and I thought, okay, that's all interesting. And <laughs> And this a wonderful man, you know, he's driving the taxi, and we start talking about, well, what do you do? And I thought, I'm a musician, and I write spiritual music. And he starts quoting me Sufi Poetry.
0: There were a couple references in there that I didn't understand. I mean, I understand about Farmer's Market in Indiana, but I didn't know what sweet salt and soda lime meant. Is that from Indiana, or is that from India?
2: That's from India. There's a, a drink in India, and it's soda, water, and lime, and some people put a little sweet in it, but they, well, there's well, sweet in it, and there's salt in it, sweet salt, soda, and lime.
0: I just realized why the State Department picked you out. It's because...
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> the reason is because they wanted someone as a, a folk singer ambassador to India, and they, so they, of course, went to Indiana. They were just <laughs> confusing the names. <laughs>
2: Well, you know, it's interesting. They said I was the first singer-songwriter. They had brought in a lot of uh, jazz, jazz being a very quintessentially American form, also a lot of pop and rock some blues as well. So they were had so far kind of worked with those kinds of music forms, and I was the first one that was in this kind of singer-songwriter-storyteller category. And I, th- I think they kind of took a risk with that, you know, the things that I... I write about social change. I have a song called "If Not Now," that it was wonderful to hear Indian audiences singing along with me, with a a song that's about positive social change. You know, Amjad says that music is innately a spiritual language. I I agree with him there. You know, not there's a part of me says not all music, but there is something about it. You know, music comes in through our hearts. If you want to get, like, brain science about it, it comes in through the right brain. It comes in through the part of us that is wordless and now that knows that we are attached and connected to everything. That's how music comes in. And so there is something about music that, that expands and opens. You know, one of the reasons why I'm a musician you know, because there's something about that. I do a lot of writing that isn't songwriting. I do essays and poetry and prose and of different kinds. But I always come back to songs. There's something about that format that continues to pull me back. And I think part of it is that that opening that happens with music.
0: You said that music is kind of inherently spiritual. I know there have been cultures throughout the past, and and some today even in the U.S., who are opposed to certain forms of music because they're not spiritual, but rather they're sensual. One of your songs, which I think is just so marvelously walks a line in there, is it's called Little Earthquakes. Mm Mm-hmm. At the same time, I experience that as a divine opening love. It's kind of like a Song of Solomon, if you will. I get the idea of human love, maybe that kind of passion, but I get the this bigger love, and it's so wonderful to see the fusion of those two. At least as I perceive that song, you you may have your own meanings to it, but that's okay. I won't tell you you're wrong.
2: <laughs> well, thanks. But you know, people take what they take from songs. But yes, I you know I think you perceived it right on with that that particular song and and I think that's part of this idea of being a songwriter with a spiritual current in my life and in my work you know I there's a spiritual current in my work because there's a spiritual current in my life if it wasn't present I would be censoring something important about how I experienced my life and how I experience the world and I choose not to censor that but you do take a risk with that I, I didn't come to spiritual music through the church I mean, I really come through the secular world, I started playing in bars. But again, you know, this idea of of honest spiritual experience, life experience, human experience, if that wasn't a current, my work would not be authentic. I would be censoring something important about how I view the world. That said, I'm also very careful and very aware about the power of those ideas and that language my hope is to create songs and stories that open hearts, not close them down. So I write in a way that's very inclusive about spiritual experience. And I think that was one of the things that was appealing to working with me in terms of the Khan family, that I do use specific Western spiritual language at times because that's the word that's needed. That's the language that's needed. But I use it very carefully, not as a buzzword, but at the same time, I choose not to use certain kinds of Western spiritual language because I've, I feel it closes doors, and it closes hearts.
0: You know, I was part of a Quaker folk dance group traveling in England at one point, point. one of the members of our group, a very dear woman, she didn't like the way I ended a certain dance, which had some very deep spiritual currents to it. We ended the song in kind of a deep, heart-open silence. I'd end that silence typically when I was doing that by saying the word, Amen and she took me aside and she says i don't want you to say the word amen there because whenever you say that it's like shoving 3000 years of patriarchy down my throat i was so sad because it was the word that as you say you know it was the word that in that situation worked for me of course if she was ending it i would expect her to say whatever she wanted to say and you know namaste is one of the things that she considered would be good there Which is perfectly appropriate, depending on who you are. There's one of your songs, I Believe is the name of the song, and it's also on Everything is Everywhere. You use that word Amen in there. Did you have that kind of hesitation about using Amen? Is that too emblematic of a certain Christian tradition?
2: Well, first, Amen isn't exclusive to Christianity. It's from the the Abrahamic traditions. It's a word that's used. And, you know, that one, I I actually went back and forth on that one and decided to use it because it was the right word. It it wasn't something that I put in haphazardly or as a buzzword. It was because it was the right word. It was the right word for me in the context of the song. But there are things I choose very specifically not to do. I never refer to what Quakers call the light, what some people call God. You know, I never refer to that as a he in male pronouns. You know, that's just a choice I've made in terms of inclusion and something that would immediately close a lot of doors and close a lot of hearts. So I have chosen, though. I have chosen in particular songs to use some of that Western spiritual language. And some of it is to reclaim it, that not one particular group or another... Has ownership of the word soul or the idea of spirit or even of the idea of it. So I decided to use it.
1: I believe there are some debts that we can never repay, and I believe there are some words that we can never unsay. And I don't know a single soul Who didn't get lost along the way I believe in socks and gloves Knit out of soft grey wool And that there's a place in heaven For those who teach in public schools And I know I get some things right But mostly I'm a fool Strong cup of ginger tea, and that all these shoots and roots will become a tree. All I know is I can't help but see all of this that's so very holy. I believe in jars of jelly put up by careful hands and i believe most folks are doing just about the best they can and i know there are some things that i will never understand
0: Off of her latest CD, Everything is Everywhere. This is Song of the Soul, and Carrie is sharing her second Song of the Soul. She's been with us before on Northern Spirit Radio. I'm your host, Mark Helpsmeet. Website northernspiritradio.org. You can find those archives of almost seven years now out on our website, including our previous interview with Carrie and many other wonderful musicians from all kinds of traditions all around the world. You can also find a place to leave comments, make donations. We love hearing back from you. It helps us know what is serving your needs. So please do drop us a comment when you visit northernspiritradio.org. You will find a link there to Carrie's site. It is simply Carrienewcomer.com, and you can find a way to get her. I think there's 15, maybe even 16 CDs you put out now, right, Carrie?
2: Yeah, um, something like that. There's been 12 on Rounder. And then I did three on my own. Yeah, that'd be like fifteen. <laughs> you start to you start to lose count after a while.
0: <laughs> I guess if your cup is so full to overflowing that uh, eventually you just can't keep track of what's in the bowl and what's not. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about what you do we mentioned about some of your different concerts and such, but I, you told me before we started the interview that you're going to Africa soon. What are you doing in Africa? Are you going to be an ambassador there too?
2: No, not, it's, that won't be the same kind of thing as India. I'll be going to Kenya in two weeks. I'll be there for a couple of different reasons. One is just to visit Kenya because it's one of those places I've been very interested in and fascinated with. also have dear friends who work there in public health and who have invited me to come personally as their friend to visit a wonderful program in Eldoret, which is a a medical center and a dental center that is a, a partnership organization with Kenyans and with Americans here. This is sponsored by the Indiana University School of Medicine. I will be doing a concert in Eldoret for that community. I'll be also going north into the northern part of the country Interfaith Hunger Initiative, which we mentioned earlier, this new album, Everything is Everywhere, is a benefit for that project, and they do a lot of work here in the United States, but they also have a school and a farm and and, and a wonderful program in northern Kenya, and I'll be visiting that project, and I'll be doing an interfaith service there, and, you know, put me to work, so I'll be doing some service, and then I'm going to take four days and go see animals, because I've always wanted to see a giraffe. So I feel very fortunate, like I said, I it's not as, uh, when I went to India, I basically worked every day, I was maybe had, in a month, had a couple of days that I wasn't either traveling or working. And it was all wonderful work, but it was definitely a very intensive tour, both times I was there. The last tour in India, I did take a few days off and I went to Damsala and spent some time there. This particular trip, though, I'll be doing a bit of music and that sort of thing, but taking some time for myself as well.
0: When I spoke with you about two years ago, one of the things you mentioned is that you're kind of an off-the-chart introvert on the Myers-Briggs measures, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have a hard time believing that. But that, what that says in Myers-Briggs terms is that you recharge by turning inside more than recharging with a group, I guess. I was curious if you could give all four letters of your Myers-Briggs type. I am, by the way, <laughs> uh, I'm an ENTP with my T being the most moderated.
2: I'm an INFP.
0: INFP, okay. Because you're a P, does that mean you have people like Eric or something to make order out of the chaos, or is that not your nature?
2: You know, I think a lot of times with Myers-Briggs, it's, you know, it gets generalized. Like when people hear introvert, extrovert, they think an introvert must be shy, and what it actually means is that it's how you get your energy, how you recharge as an introvert it's not that I don't like people or I'm not comfortable with people i I actually you know that's part of why I do what I do. I love people i mean and I know that's like really not fashionable right now, but I really do, but how I recharge is in solitude, and I have to be careful in terms of. The very busy schedule that I keep as a performing artist that when I do workshops, I want to be completely present and give everything I have. Or else, if I'm not going to give everything I've got, then I ought to just stay home. But when I go home, making sure that I have space and quiet and time to do that, very important, recharging. Same thing, I think, with the J and the P. You know, P being people who are a little more comfortable with things not being completely organized. You know, some folks give me something to organize, and I am a happy person. You know, they're much more comfortable in that operating system. And I think people the term as P are just a little more comfortable with disorder. That being said, I, I've kind of created a lot of things around me because I need to get to shows on time, and and I need. To, <laughs> You know, and I need to organize my life in a way that I, I show up where I need to show up, and I don't miss my flight, and you know, I get projects done. So over the years, I think I've become more adept at learning how to create structures for myself, as any artist who works on their own needs to do. The one thing I want to say about the Myers-Briggs as a tool is that I appreciate the idea behind it—that there isn't any good or bad letter. You know, it's just the way that we operate, the operating system we're most comfortable with. And it's a tool to kind of help us reflect on, ah, you know, if I am an introvert and I am a person like this, I need to make sure that I I take care to have solitude in time of quiet. If I'm a person who's very extroverted and I really recharge with people and I have a solitary job, I need to make sure that I have community, That I find that kind of community. And the same thing with all the other. I don't like it as a category system, but more as a way of reflection and saying, oh, you know, this is something about me and how I work and and how I'm comfortable and the ways that I operate in the most effective ways to stay whole and healthy. So someone told me that, you know, my Myers-Briggs is often the letters that pastors have. I thought that was interesting because I'm not a pastor. So when I meet people who are pastors, there's often this sound of recognition. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, Carrie, I could just so easily enjoy spending all day with you. There's so much good to hear from you. And then I don't mean just musically. I mean the depths of your soul. that you, in, in the words, you're able to put that into there's so much resonate for me. But unfortunately, we do have to call it to a close. Can we do one more song, and how would you care to send out this song of the soul?
2: Let's do a song called Shine, because I think there's something really joyous about the song. The lyrics and the music and the idea behind it, the sounds, the sounds that it created, it was really meant to be a celebration. It was meant to be joyous. Now there's some kind of spiritual ideas running through it, but overall the idea was how do we how do we join together the Sorrode, the voice, the instruments and create something that has a great deal of joy behind it. That the spirit the spirit is deep and the spirit is rich and the spirit is thoughtful. The spirit moves us to be better people and to consider. It asks us to dig to the deepest parts of ourselves, to go to the groundwater, and at the same time it's a joyous thing. It's the first green leaf of spring, you know, it's it's the wood thrush call at the end of the day. It's, it's sunlight, it's sunlight coming down after a long winter, you know. The Spirit is also filled with great joy. So let's, let's end with that part of the Spirit.
0: We're ending Carrie Newcomer's Song of the Soul with her song Shine also from Everything is Everywhere. We're going to have her back real soon for Spirit in Action, so remember to listen in for that as well. Carrie, as always, it's a delight to spend time with you. I look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks for joining me for Song of the Soul.
2: Thank you. It's been great to be with you.
0: Shine by Carrie
2: Newcomer.
1: Shining from the farther shore. Shining, light, shining.
0: by Carrie Newcomer, today's Song of the Soul guest, website, CarrieNewcomer.com or just follow the link from NorthernSpiritRadio.org. Thanks for joining us today and we'll meet you next week for Song of the Soul. The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again